we pray this message blesses and encourages you. Uh, great to be with you this morning. So we are continuing in our sermon series on the, uh, the parables of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. And you know, these parables offer us great practical truth, don't they? Um, you know, parables are really where the rubber hits the road, where all the ideals, the beauty, the grace of our Lord comes in contact with the, the messiness and the brokenness of life. And in the parable we're going to look at in a few minutes, uh, this is where all our fallenness and brokenness comes in contact with the fallenness and the brokenness of another. Because we can easily bump into each other. And I don't mean physically bump into each other. We can easily bump into each other. Uh, who remembers the bumpers in the Marys? Yeah, I see a couple of hands. These were the bumpers. We called them the merry-go-rounds. And as kids, it was probably one of my favorite things. I was never big into the wheels, but I loved the bumpers. Um, and I think, <laughs> I'm sure you all had very sanctified families, but it was a great opportunity to get that family member back, <laughs> go into the back of your sister in a bumper. I mean, that's the whole point of the bumpers. Um, but they were great fun. And the message today is, how do we navigate when we bump up against each other. And no, the answer is we do not go into the back of each other. How do we resolve these bumps in the road, bumps in our story, and the bumps we experience? So turn with me, please, to Matthew 18 in your Bibles, in your apps, verse 21. And we're going to pick it up there in chapter 18. Verse 21, then Jesus came, Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times, Jesus answered. And I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. <clears throat> Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, the man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold or talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him and said, be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him. Be patient with me, and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. 
When the servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So Father God, we thank you for this parable. Jesus, it is a reminder of your great forgiveness and mercy extended to us. Lord, as we study this parable now, I pray, Father God, that you would speak into our hearts, speak the words you would have me say, and touch our hearts for your name and for your glory. Amen. <coughs> so today we're looking at the parable of the unforgiving servant. And uh, there's four points I really want to look at as we address this topic. And the four points are, what is the, the process of forgiveness? But what is the problem we have with forgiveness? What should be our posture in forgiveness? And what is our position as we forgive? So let's just recap on this story. So in this parable, Peter asks Jesus, how many times should I forgive? And Jesus responds by saying, not seven times, but 70 times seven, indicating an infinite amount of times we need to forgive. Jesus goes on to tell the story of a king who wants to settle his accounts. Uh, the king had a servant who owed him 10,000 bags of gold or talents. And all commentators point out to this unrealistic amount of money that this servant owed. A working man could possibly earn a single talent in the year. So Jesus is speaking of this immeasurable amount of debt that he had. The king confronts the servant and demands that he makes good on his debt. But this is something no human person could actually do. The servant asks the king, have patience. He gets on his knees and he says, have patience with me. I will pay back everything. He falls on his knees, indicating real sorrow for his situation. And he offers to pay back everything. But even the most sincere effort on the part of the servant really could not have paid back this debt. The king is moved with compassion, releases him, forgives the debt, and frees him from his liability. In the next scene, then, we saw this unforgiving servant meeting this second servant. And this second servant owes the forgiven man really a couple of euro in comparison. But this forgiven servant seizes him, chokes him, and he has him thrown into prison. And when the king hears this, he summons him and he says, how could you, having experienced my great mercy and love that I extended to you, 
be so ungenerous and cruel to another. And he throws the first servant into prison. And Jesus ends with these chilling lines. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. So what is the process of forgiveness? How do we go on this journey of forgiveness. And it is a journey because for some people and for some stories and for some things that have happened to you, it's a process. It's a journey. It may not just happen overnight. Well, the first thing we see here is uh, we see that Jesus is using this analogy of debt as a way to describe forgiveness. And in the New Testament, there are two words to use used to describe forgiveness. This is my best attempt at this word, uh, charisimo, my, which, mean, which contains the word charis, meaning grace. So forgiveness includes extending grace to a person rather than acting in just a calculating manner. The second word that's most commonly used in the New Testament is Aphes, A-P-H-E-S-I-S, which means remission or to release someone from a legal obligation or debt. And this is, like I said, the most widely used word. So these words are helpful as we understand the concept of forgiveness. So the first step we see that this king takes is that he names the debt. He brings a servant before him and he names the debt. Forgiveness starts with truth-telling. It involves exposure rather than cover-up, excuses, or half-truths. Sometimes sin can be justified, minimized, or excused, but we are actually to firstly start by naming the sin, naming the wrongdoing, naming the injustice in all of its ugliness. This can be done prayerfully with the Lord or with a trusted prayer partner. Secondly, we see that the king then has named the problem, but he is moved with compassion. He takes pity on this servant. And this is an important part in the forgiveness process where we say, Lord, give me eyes to see this person the way you see them. You see, when you've been injured, all you want to do is concentrate on the injustice and concentrate on the bad works this person has done and how much they deserve to now suffer. But if this person is perhaps not a, even a Christian, how much more do we need to ask God to give us eyes to see them as he sees them. In other words, as lost sinners in need of saving grace. Thirdly, we see that he extends forgiveness. He cancels the debt, and that means he absorbs the loss himself. Now, like I said, the word forgiveness means to cancel a legal debt, an obligation. Um, but how does that work, you might ask? We're, we're, you know, we're not talking about money here in, in my situation. What does that mean in this context? Well, let me use this analogy. If a friend borrowed my car 
and crashed the car, and the car was a write-off. I couldn't drive the car again, but it was a friend of mine, and I knew they didn't have the money to fix it. I knew they couldn't repay me. I could extend forgiveness to my friend and say, let it go, don't worry about it, okay? I forgive you. But the car is still a write-off. I can't drive it. So the price of the wrong does not go away. I either find the money to fix the car or I go without a car. But I absorb the damage done to the car. And in the same way, debt here is like an injury. It's the insult, it's the words, it's the damage done. That wounding, you bear the cost, you bear the price for another person's actions upon you. To forgive someone's debt is to say, I am absorbing that debt. Now, while everything in you may want them to suffer, forgiveness means rather than retaliate, you refuse to do so, and therefore you bear the cost. And this idea of remission actually points to the fact that forgiveness is costly. You see, the king bore the cost of this unpaid bill of the servant. He paid, he bore the price, he absorbed the cost of this servant's bill. But fourthly, then we see he released him. This means that he released him and actually then the relationship is restored. This man is no longer a debtor, a violator of the king's trust, but a citizen and a servant. So in forgiving him, he acknowledged the problem, the debt, he extended forgiveness and he releases the person. And this is where we release the person and situation into God's hands. Now, you might be sitting here today and saying, Kleena, look, that's all very well. You know, um, I, I accept the command to forgive. Um, yeah, okay, I get the process. But you've no idea how hard it is for me to forgive that person. You don't know. You, you, just, you, just, you just don't get how hard it has been. So why is forgiveness so hard? Well, the problem is our heart hurts. Our emotions, and sometimes our pride, has been wounded. And what's the initial response to a wrongdoing? That's a question. What's the initial response? You can give me your raw answer. This is not being recorded, so it's all good. We can be honest here today. Fight back. Very good. Thank you, Jean. That's why you're on the well-being team. <laughs> That's why she's, she's, she's being, yeah, you're anger. We get angry, right? Anger is a response to an injustice. We may feel indignation. We feel overwhelmed, maybe, at the injustice. And with anger, we automatically want a sense of justice. We want to pay back. We want revenge. I'll get them back. 
we know long-term anger is not the answer, right? Anger eats us up. And Paul says in Ephesians 4, 31, how unresolved anger leads to bitterness, which leads to wrath, clamor, slander, malice in the heart towards a person. In other words, all these toxic emotions will ultimately corrode you and warp you. But there's another human emotion that we experience often when we have experienced an injustice or a wounding. And it's something, in fact, that a person in debt will feel. I'll give you a clue. If, if a debt collector is coming to your house and they're knocking on the door and they're coming to collect a debt, what do you feel? Fear? Yeah, good. What else? Anxiety? Yeah. Yeah, very good. And what? Depression, yeah. So you could also feel a lot of humiliation, right? You're going to feel humiliation. You're going to feel shame. They're coming to collect the debt, and I don't have the money. And this is, these are other emotions we feel often when we've been injured. When you've been hurt, you can feel a combination of anger, humiliation, and shame. Perhaps because of what has happened to you, a part of you has been robbed. Perhaps a, a sense of yourself was undermined or undervalued. Perhaps something precious to you was taken. And that leads to very, very strong emotions of anger, humiliation, and shame. And with these negative emotions can come a sense of powerlessness. We feel powerless often in our injury. And it's very easy to stay and stew in it. Now, sometimes you may think that by remaining angry, you are giving the wrongdoer what they deserve. But in reality, you're really enabling their actions to continue to hurt you. And you're actually becoming less of the person God has designed you to be. Because unforgiveness really warps us. But when you forgive slowly and gradually that process of forgiving when you don't feel like it because let me tell you you may not feel like forgiving but you make a decision of the will to say I'm going to start choosing to forgive that person and what happens is bit by bit as you forgive as you choose to forgive God heals you and releases your grace releases grace to help you move in that direction. So what needs to be the posture of our hearts as we forgive? Well, rather than pick up the gauntlet, rather than, you know, run at them, belittle them, say things about them, when your pride rises up within you and says, I'll get them back. Oh, I'll show them. What do we do? Well, this will seem very counterintuitive to you. We actually get, need to get on our knees and humble ourselves. 
We need to humble ourselves. And that is what the servant did. He humbled our, he humbled himself. And we need to humble ourselves when we are hurting. There's a beautiful example of this in the story of 1 Samuel chapter 25, where David is on the run from Saul. And he sends men out to ask this wealthy businessman, farmer, Nabal for some hospitality. But Nabal insults David by saying, well, who is this David? And who are these, this son of Jesse? I mean, there's a lot of servants running away from their masters these days. And, and then the servants turn quick on their heels, it says in scripture, and they, they come back to David. And then David is fuming, right? He's been humiliated. He's been insulted. And he is seething with anger. He's boiling with anger. So he says, right, lads, hop on your horses. Get ready. We're going in. There will not be a man alive by tonight. That is the problem with anger and insults. He said, we're going to take them out. Thankfully, Nabal had a sensible wife. The servants run to the wife. They tell her what's happened. She hears that David is en route and he's going to massacre the people. So she gathers, quickly supplies, and this is what we read in verse 18. Abigail hurried and she took all this food with her. I won't list it all now. She loads them on the donkeys, verse 19, and she said to her young men, go ahead of me, I am right behind you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. So Abigail came riding her donkey, donkey, very humble animal, into a mountain ravine. She saw David and his men coming down towards her, and she met them. Now David had just finished saying, in vain I have protected all that belonged to this man in the wilderness. In other words, David had been out in the, in the wilderness actually protecting this man's belongings, his sheep and his men. He'd been doing all of this quietly and Nabal did not know him. And David said, nothing that belonged to him had gone missing, yet he has paid me back evil for good. May God punish David ever so severely if I let one of Nabal's men survive until morning. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off the donkey. She fell face down and bowed before him. She fell at his feet and said, my Lord, may the blame be on me alone. But please let your servant speak to you. Hear the words of your servant. My Lord should pay no attention to this scoundrel Nabal, for he lives up to his name. His name means fool and folly accompanies him. I, your servant, did not see my Lord's young men whom you sent. Now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and avenging yourself with your own hand. May your enemies and those you seek harm for my Lord be like Nabal. Now let this gift your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow you. Please forgive your servant's offense. For the Lord will surely make a lasting dynasty for the Lord because he fights the Lord's battles. May no evil be found in you as long as you live. 
What a powerful story of intercession. She absorbs really her husband's folly. She knows her, the tendency of her husband to be foolish. She humbles herself before David and she seeks his forgiveness. The posture of forgiveness is actually we humble ourselves. We humble ourselves. Secondly, she is generous towards him. She gives him all these supplies. I'm sure she just emptied out the kitchen and the, the barns and she brings all of it. You see, forgiving someone is actually a generous act. It takes the bigger person to forgive. The posture of forgiveness is one of humility and one of generosity. God, interestingly, does deal with Nabal in his own way and in his own timing. But to truly forgive, we need to take up that posture of humility and generosity. The worship team would like to come up, please. <coughs> you know, I believe we can only really take up that posture and begin to embark on the process of forgiveness as we are reminded of our position in the kingdom. You see, what this parable of the unforgiving servant points to is the fact that as Christians, it's only when we know how much we have been forgiven by our king are we able to extend that to others. The first servant could not repay the king, and this is a picture of the infinite debt we owed God. But God took a pen and he canceled your debt on the cross of Calvary. He absorbed the cost of our sin and it cost him a lot to do that. It cost him his only begotten son on the cross of Calvary to pay for our sin. <coughs> But we too can be like that servant. We too can remain unchanged by divine forgiveness. The divine forgiveness we have received through the precious blood of Jesus. Because when we don't forgive others from the bottom of our hearts, we've either lost sight of what God has done for us, or we did not fully receive the fullness of God's forgiveness to us. You see, once you know you are fully forgiven by a merciful God, once you know that he's canceled your sin, he's written that check, he says you are now free. Not only has he done all of that, but he has now given you a position in the kingdom. You are an heir with a rightful inheritance. You are seated with Christ in heavenly places. You are a chosen child in the kingdom of God. You have been given authority and power and dominion to accomplish great things for your king. And not only has he done all that, not only has he given you this position within the kingdom, he has made healing available through the cross. You can receive his healing touch into every wounded place 
into every injured part of your soul. As deep as the scars may be by the words and the wounds of another, the blood of Jesus runs deeper. But the invitation is, will you humble yourself in your hurt? Because the lower you go, the deeper the blood will flow. The deeper the blood will flow into those places of shame, into those places of humiliation. The deeper the blood will flow into those places of brokenness. Places where people don't even know what happened. The blood of Jesus will flow into those places as we humble ourselves in our heart. And as we do that, he gives us the grace. He gives us the grace to forgive what may seem unforgivable, what may seem so unfair. He gives us the grace. And as he gives us the grace in those places, he fills us with his spirit so that we're made big and generous so that we expand as believers and that we become anointed, in fact, in those places to do great things for the King. So will you, this day, make a decision to forgive people, circumstances, situations, unfair treatment, unfair words, misunderstandings. Because, you know, for some of you today, I believe God wants to just draw a line in the sand. He doesn't want that situation to continue to haunt you. He doesn't want you playing back those tapes in your head the things you could have said, the things you would have said, the things you would have done differently. He wants it buried. And through the cross of Christ, that is possible. You see, there's another great principle that kicks in when we truly forgive from the bottom of our heart. And this principle is actually indicated in verse 28 of that Samuel verse where Abigail said to David, for the Lord would surely make a lasting dynasty for my Lord because he fights the Lord's battles. You see, David was going out and fighting the Lord's battles in the name of Yahweh. But there is a greater David that fights your every battle. Once you lay down your weapons, once you lay down the right to retaliate, and his name is Jesus. And when you lay it all down at the foot of the cross, Jesus says, I've been waiting. I've been waiting for this moment because now I can vindicate you. Now I can make restitution. Now I can restore. Now I can go on your behalf and heal and resolve because that is our inheritance. When we lay down the battle, he picks up his and he will, he will resolve and he will restore and he will... Sorry, what word am I talking about? He will heal every hurt and resolve what has been unresolvable. So know your position means we take up our posture before the Lord. He deals with the problem 
And so we can begin this process of forgiveness. Why don't we stand to our feet, church? God, you have been pointing your finger on issues, on people, maybe old, sore wounds. And Lord, you see the injustice and the hurt. So God, we want to humble ourselves right now, Lord, in our hurt. We want to lay down the right to retaliate. We want to lay down our anger, humiliation. Because God, we can no longer carry this. God, pour in your oil now. Your oil of healing. Your oil of anointing. Because Jesus, your blood was shed on the cross for us. And your blood is available to heal us as well. And to every wounded soul in this place that's continued to hold on to unforgiveness. So we've received that right now, Lord. And I plead the blood of Jesus into the lie. Maybe you've made a vow. I will never forgive that person. Jesus, we cancel those vows now by your blood. And we pray for the grace to forgive. Lord, we choose right now to forgive. We choose the journey of forgiveness, knowing that it will heal us. It will restore relationships. It will make things so much better. And we walk into the fullness that you have for us, Lord, as your beloved children in the kingdom of God. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you'd like any more information, please visit stmarkcity.ie. Have a very blessed week.